calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello, Babadook Hunt, and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. This is podcast number 251. And I am Chris Tilley, and this week I'm joined by Daniel Kruper. Hello. And a very, very special guest in the shape of Chris Carl. Ooh, in the shape and in the presence. It's actually not Chris Carl, just in <laughs> no, the shape of him. the shape of him. I am the Babadook. Who are you, Chris Carl, for people who might not have heard you in the past on this pod? Right, which I've never been, so this is my first time. You've been on the podcast before, haven't you? Not here, no, I actually haven't. Wow. I know, it's crazy. Okay. I made it 251 episodes, <laughs> but I'm here now. Um, so I run all the entertainment content um, out of the U.S., um, so yeah, that's what I do. I mm. do the movies and the TV and the comics. So you work in the LA office, and I work in the LA office. So um, we've gone all, this week. We've gone all Hollywood. Yep, uh, as you can tell, I am super Hollywood. So. <laughs> uh, and what brings you to London this week? You Chris? do okay. That's nice to hear. The shape of Chris Tilly. <laughs> Issues with me. You need to have a word with me. There's a problems on the site and my performance. Exactly, yeah. So. Are we actually going to do your performance review on the podcast? <laughs> Dropping have an you elbow. got that prep, Chris? Yeah. You're yeah. not the boss of me. I'm not, um, actually. So, there we go. No, uh, you've come over. We're meeting with some film studios. We're yeah. hanging out. We're having fun. Mm. Grabbing some pints. Indeed, which we did on Tuesday night. I'm yeah, s- exactly. Yeah. What happened on Tuesday night, Chris? It was fun. Uh, the the... 250th podcast celebration. Yep. Um, what did you call it? Like pod the quiz. Pod quiz. Pod quiz. Yeah. yeah. And because uh, in America you do like the um, uh, the pub quiz things we yeah, start yeah. doing. The, but in America you call them trivia nights. You call them trivia nights. Well, no, there's also pub quizzes, you know, but they usually happen in like British, British or pubs. Irish pubs, you know. Right. And uh, all the all the proper ones are done by you know people from Expats. here actually here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a fair number of them actually in, in the big cities. And so some of them are called trivia nights, but there's pub quizzes. I mean, you only stuck around for two rounds, but uh, what did you make of it? I was, yeah, the jet lag got me. Yeah, sure. It held me in its thrall. Um, <laughs> I thought it was cool. I mean, lots of big turnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was good. It's nice to see. I know there were some folks that like, I, you know, I met up with that, that new... You know, you got rec- from the yeah. stage. You it was got kind of awesome. Oh, I loved it. It was <laughs> great. I mean, 
So you've been with IGN for a long, long time. 15 years. Since the beginning. Yeah, almost. Um, I think I'm the, th- like, currently on staff, yeah. I think I'm, like, the third oldest employee. Not oldest, but, mm. like, the third longest. longest. Yeah, serving. So, yeah, almost 15 years. And we just celebrated our 15th birthday, didn't we? I know. Uh, what changes have you seen, Chris, in the 15 years? Everything changed, you know? Um, one one common mis- misconception, though, about IGN is that we just started doing entertainment coverage now. Yeah. But we've been doing it since I started 15 years ago. Yeah. So, um, there's been a lot of changes, though, I mean, honestly. Like, every change that has happened to the site, pretty much, I've seen. Um, and, you know, a lot of it, I feel like we're in a good place now. Yeah. I agree. And uh, I think we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who came down for, Absolutely. Pod- it was fantastic. It for was the great. pod quiz. And also people who weren't there on the evening but listened to the podcast every week. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed last week's shambles of an episode. In- <laughs> ah, it's quite <laughs> fitting. It was it's like- just by way of an apology now. We well, apologize no, for not, last week. Was, it's not, it was very fine work. but It, it was, was two, sprawling. It was, it was a two-hour, yeah. It was, it was a lot of podcasts, but it, thank you for downloading it. Was, it, was the the di- it was the director's cut, as it were, wasn't <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, no editing went into it. Whatsoever. I'm disappointed though. No, no Dan Kilby feedback. I thought there might be some Kilbs feedback no, uh, this week. Wouldn't I hope people were happy to hear. I was happy to hear him back. I wonder on the if podcast. a lot of people didn't know who he was, like new listeners. I think we explained it though, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, <laughs> we spent quite a lot, about half an hour, explaining who he but is. He said to me in the office afterwards, "I really enjoyed that." Oh, so if he, he, that's he wants nice. to come back on. He wants to come back into the fold. Okay, well, he's always welcome. Yeah. Two hours is a is a lengthy podcast. I yeah, and you know what, Chris? It felt longer. <laughs> yeah, it felt a lot longer. It really did. Yeah. I dread to think what the listeners thought. We do uh, keeping it real in the states of a movie podcast. Oh, little plug! Little it plug. was a little plug. No, but every time we do like a jumbo episode, like we accidentally let it run for like an hour and a half. Everybody's like, "Do them this long," and I'm like, "We can't, we can't." Uh, yeah, but that's yeah, the yeah. thing, though. When it's a podcast you like, you want as much of it as possible. Yeah. But an hour seems about right. Yeah. I think when you're recording it as well, you start running out of steam a little bit. A little bit. So we need uh, cookies. So Biscuits. this one's this one's going to be twenty five minutes. Um, so let's turn to the news. I guess we normally have a bunch of news stories, but this week there's I just one sentence we, on my bit of paper, yeah. and it says, "What does it say?" It says, "Avengers: Age of Ultron trailer." Mm, because What's I that? guess I guess we got it early. So Ooh. this was supposed to drop on Tuesday as part of Agents of Shield, and. It somehow got leaked, or a UK version so got it was leaked. Gonna, so I didn't really know this. So it was going to run during the ad break. Yeah. yeah. The full two-minute trailer. Which yes. you would think is a massive coup for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and would have got a huge amount of viewers. And I mean, there's so much um, you know, tie-in and stuff between the movies and that particular show. I think they're seeing it as like, oh, hey, here's a way to drive viewership, etc., Oh, that yeah. sucks for that show. Yeah, that kind of a halo I, effect for Agents of Shield. Like this is yeah. all tied in. It's awful. So I guess a bootleg got out there or some kind of dodgy version, and so they rushed, rushed, released the trailer itself, which I think broke in the middle of the night in sort of LA time, which is not good. Yeah. Um, so we, came, we we woke up this morning to watch it, and we've been busy oh, yeah. covering it today. Conversations, I literally rewind theaters this morning. Me too. I, I checked my email, and it's like, what? What's yeah. this happening? I just watched it on my phone. I went. Wake up to my girlfriend. She didn't. She's asleep. But I was like, we're watching this right now with iPhone really close to our faces. And yeah, I started watching way. it on my phone in bed, yeah. and then I thought I can't do this, and so I made myself properly wake up and get my laptop and watch it yeah. on the laptop because yeah. I just thought yeah, it would yeah. do it disservice. Yeah. It's a big event, right? Yeah. Like this kind of trailer dropping. It's almost more exciting. They just came out of nowhere. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
So should we get to the well uh, initial thoughts though when you yeah. first saw it what what was what did you first think Chris a lot darker you know I mean I I enjoyed it I thought it looked cool and and it you know kind of delivered on the promise of what they were saying this movie was going to be mm. um, which is you know it's it, it, it you had said something like the threat from within rather yeah. than the threat from without and I think they have to change it up because the alien thing is. You can't keep doing the alien thing. And they've kind of moved that along a little bit with right. Guardians of the Galaxy. They've kind of... That plate is already spinning quite nicely in the background. Right. Let's go and tend to another part of the universe. And sure. I think that's what the Avengers is going to do. Yeah, I, I, I love that they're, you know, going that direction. And it seems like a lot of infighting in this particular one, mm. you know, like... The Hulk, you know, the Hulkbuster armor, Iron Man versus Hulk. You see... Uh, Thor choke out Tony Stark at one point. Yeah. And also, in light of what's kind of rumored recently with Captain America 3, does a lot right. of this stuff prefigure that? Basically, I the Avengers so. in this movie is a tenuous alliance, which, while it'll hold strong probably for the end of the movie to defeat Ultron, is kind of already broken right. irreparably. And, and you know, that that's what the Avengers kind of were in yeah. the first one, too. They kind of came together. I wouldn't say, like... Well, there was a fight in that one too. It was Iron Man and Thor yeah, kind of yeah. had a brawl, but um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think it does sort of pave the way for that movie. It felt a little bit to me though, like a few trailers I've seen in the last few years of the big blockbusters, where it's kind of from the villain's point of view. Mm-hmm. You're hearing his voice, and I feel like, I feel like Star Trek into Star Trek yeah. did that. I feel like maybe Skyfall did it, although I'm not sure. I've not checked. I feel like maybe you know. Dark Knight Rises did it with Bane. Like yeah. I feel like I've seen the beats of that trailer before a little bit. Where, uh, but it was cool to see Ultron in action and hear what he's got to say. And it was uh, the, the Pinocchio song was quite right, unexpected, right. wasn't it? That's a really unusual choice, yeah. though. I wonder if um, sometimes some of these trailers seem kind of samey because there are the same finishing houses that kind of do, do the these trailers, trailers. Yeah. and you know they get a perspective on how they want to present something, and yeah. then they're like, "Hey, well, I'm going to do this with it." Uh, and, and is everyone that works at those um, effects houses, are they all people who, for whom Empire Strikes Back is their favorite movie? <laughs> and so let's... Isn't it everybody's favorite movie? I, mean, I guess so. In the, you know, maybe in that, particularly in that industry. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that's an influence. It was, it was one of the first comparisons that I think you made this morning, very Empire Strikes Back. But in some ways, it also feels like the final part, like even though it's part two of the Avengers, it feels like a closing chapter on lots of things that are happening. You know, yeah. Tony Stark says this is the end of the path that I set us on. Yep. So even though it's not Avengers three, I do feel like some kind of finality to it. And the one uh, there, there, there are a couple key people missing from this trailer. We didn't see Ultron. We didn't see Thanos. So we don't know Vision. Sorry, yeah. Vision. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah Vision, yeah, not yeah, Ultron. Yeah. Yeah. They're so tied together in my <laughs> yeah, mind, yeah, but um, yeah, no Vision, no Thanos. Well, um, that Thanos, yeah, I guess Vision's a surprise, so, so I guess they're keeping Vision a secret. Thanos is a weird one because they brought him out stage at, at Comic-Con, didn't they? They brought uh, Josh, what's yeah. he called, out Brolin. Stage, uh, Brolin on stage, and it's like, I thought he would be, we would finally see him in action in this movie, potentially, but Maybe I don't not. know, will he, will he not be a villain in it? Are they saving him for Avengers 3? I think we, they are saving him. Mm, I think yeah. they hold him in reserve. Like he got because there's a lot going on got, in this. You know, he yeah. he appeared for the first time proper in Guardians of the Galaxy as the reveal. I think you want to go quiet on him for a little bit, build up a sense of mystery, maybe talk of him more than seeing him. Yeah, to build up the the threat rather mm-hmm. than he just appears in this movie. Although we we were saying that, and I I think one you know we're probably going to see him 
in some way, but yeah. not like in a big, big way. But I think there are other things that this set up, like the Black Panther stuff, where we could see those kind of teases. So I, I think what's they, the Black Panther stuff, Chris? Okay, um, so you know, Claw. Well, we're assuming Andy Circus is. We're Claw. doing a lot of assumptions. There's here. a lot of assumptions, and but... that can make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Probably will. But Andy Circus looks a lot like the Claw from the animated series. Yeah, another mm-hmm. renditions, yeah. And we saw the broken shield, which, you know, is made of vibranium, which comes from Wakanda, which is where Black Panther is from. And some um, scenes take place in Africa, possibly it, it, Wakanda. So I love all of that. I love that there's that possibility. You know, Kevin Feige has kind of said to us even a couple of times, like, you can't deny the fan sort of groundswell for Black Panther. And I do think it's just going to happen at some point in time. So... If this, if these are the, like the first seeds that we see of it, awesome. And it was our first look at Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in right. action. So, what did you think of them? I love the, I love the Quicksilver effect. Mm-hmm. It looked um, cool. You know, I, I thought the, uh, the Quicksilver kind of stole the Days of Future Past movie. Yeah, it was most definitely, super fun in that movie. But like, this is a different take and probably like a, a slightly more serious take on him. Um, can't call him a mutant, you know. And I don't think you can even you call can him get, Quicksilver. You can get sued for just doing that. I'm afraid. Oh, no. You're in trouble. So you can't even call him... I don't even think you can call him Quicksilver. So what's, in, the, what's the term they use? Miracle. Yeah, they call him they Miracles. Using, yeah. And they're they're going to mm. refer to them as the Maximals, right? Yeah. So uh, we may never hear his name in that in this film, but we all know who he is. And he's got the lightning bolts on the yeah. suit and everything. Um, so yeah. a favorite a favorite bit of the trailer? Did you have a favorite moment? It's probably the kind of money shot of the trailer is the Hulkbuster armor. Yeah. When yep. it starts, because we were talking about this, we did the Rewind Theatre, me and Chris, earlier today, and it feels like he's probably in a regular Iron Man suit. And I wonder what's the motivation <laughs> for him to get it back into the Iron Man suit, because he gives yeah. it up at three, so obviously something has necessitated him putting the suit back mm-hmm. on. That's if it is Tony Stark. Should be. And then it feels like the rest of the suit is flying in using the Mark 42 technology, building, building him bigger and bigger as he fights the Hulk, which is awesome <laughs> and yourself chris a favorite yeah, moment i mean hulkbuster is hard to deny but yeah. I, I also love that shot of thor down and the and panning across the shield yeah that's mm. broken in half um i think i think that's that's pretty cool and also the i i enjoyed seeing scarlet witch's like first you know powers display all of that was it wasn't as much of a Very wow moment yeah, yeah. as Hulkbuster and, that was awesome. and what was pretty cool uh, we spotted when we were going through the trailer is, is look looks like there's a bit of time travel in it in terms of yeah. going back to World War Two and seeing Captain Steve yeah. Rogers and, and, and Peggy Carter together yeah well I wonder if they're going to go back that's the, one of the things I love about this they've got to the point now there's been so many Marvel movies they can refer back to previous events different times with each individual character and really they've established so much world already yeah. so if they want to go back and delve into the Hydra stuff they can do a flashback scene and obviously um, um, Agent Ca- Carter Cap- yeah, Captain America 2 obviously crossed over with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So will this one cross over with Agent Carter? It seems like it's a no-brainer be- for them if they want to get people watching that TV show. Yeah, and I think the timing's going to be right, too. Yeah. I, think, mm. I think this is going to happen in the midst of that. So It'd be great if you had a scene with like Dominic Cooper's character, Tony Stark's father, that parallels maybe where he's at today with... Tony Stark. That's really interesting. And what if that scene that, that looks like they're at a dance of some kind, doesn't yeah. it, in, in, the, in the trailer? What if that dance scene is in the TV show? We're just seeing a yeah. different perspective or a different moment from that scene. Like, it would be... I think that's the stuff that Marvel can do right now. Mm. Like, it's not saying they're going to, but they can do that stuff, which is amazing. You know, you can say, like, here's a different take on the thing that you saw in this movie, or here's the lead up to this movie. And, you know, you're, you're going to be watching this show... 
And then maybe like the week between the show and the next show, you see this thing happen in Avengers and you're like, that's awesome. Yeah. That's synergy. It is. And fe- <laughs> feelings about uh, Ultron? Um, I... I, I, I want to see the other forms of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he looked cool in certain shots. And then the shot at the end where he's talking, I'm like, I wanted to see the like the face armor and stuff like yeah. that. I like the first incarnation when he kind of disrupts the party of Avengers Tower. Yeah. And it's, a, it's essentially kind of the Iron Man armor kind of modified. And the way that the kind of the face plate is corroded makes him, gives him this really twisted mouth, like sharp metal. It's really very sinister and menacing. Yeah. I'm I'm sad to say that I watched Pretty in Pink for the only the first time the other day. No, um, and I realised why because it just I didn't really like it that much. <laughs> but it feels like uh, seeing Spader and that this is just bringing that journey that character's journey to its natural conclusion. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah. it's the end of that story. <laughs> That's funny. Um, okay, so any more thoughts on Avengers before we move on? I'm stoked on it. I feel like uh, we'll we'll obviously be seeing a ton more, but it's going to come out. It's going to come up before the next Comic-Con. So everything that we are going to see, everybody is going to see. Yeah. So it, it's going to be kind of a journey that everybody gets mm. to take at once, which is cool. Because I feel like a lot of times when you have that Comic-Con drops, it's like you hear about this footage. You don't necessarily see it unless it's leaked. And then it's just, oh, well, i got to wait a year. But we're only seven months out from this yeah, movie. Yeah. So we're going to see some more stuff. And I'm excited about that. And before we move on, um, we talked about it last week, but it'd be good to get your input as you've been covering, covering comic book movies for us for the best part of 15 years. Yeah. Uh, the DC news that came out last week, now it's had time to kind of sink in a bit. What, what are your thoughts there? I, I mean, it's exciting. It's, it's definitely like there's a lot of uh, question marks on that schedule, like where's Batman, where's Superman, yeah, what are they going to do with Ben Affleck? And you we, talked about that on Keeping It Real yeah, last we, week. We talked about it a little bit, but... You know, I don't think Ben Affleck is going to... I don't think that incarnation of Batman is going to survive through all the DC movies. I think Batman's going to die and pass the mantle. That's my true feeling Interesting. On, on, on Ben Affleck because he's, he's going to be, um, you know, sort of uh, Dark Knight Returns kind of yep. Batman. And now with the news of Jenna Malone being possibly Carrie Kelly Robin, that's a... You know, like yeah. that, you're kind of laying the groundwork there. Yeah, and almost in a weird way with Dark Knight Rises, you've seeded the idea already that Batman is a symbol. Right. Even though it's a separate kind of franchise part, it, you've kind of cemented that idea in people's heads. Um, so I think people can latch onto that. What do you, what are your what movies are you most excited about in that slate? Well, we did we did a we did a, a superhero show about this very subject, and I think uh, Dan went obvious. I went obvious. Yes. I went Justice League because I want to see how they tackle it. Because we've seen yeah. how Marvel have done it with the benefit of 900 minutes worth of movies. Right. And this is going to happen relatively quickly. And how they manage all those characters, but also how they do the kind of two-parter thing. Right. Are they going to go for full-on cliffhanger? And the fact that they've signed Schneider to do all of them. Yeah. I think they are going to do yeah. an actual cliffhanger. I think so. Like, if you've got but that three, schedule is, locked is in. It two or three years between the two of those movies? Two, I think. It's two, I think. That's a hell of a cliffhanger. Like, you know, the Hunger Games, The Hobbit, these films, it's only... I know, obviously, Empire did... It was three years for Empire Strikes right. Back with that. But that was a real... Felt like a real one-off and a real strange What's thing. What's the film but, that comes in between that and part two, then? Because obviously some of the characters oh, man, are tangled I got, up. I haven't got the list oh, of them. Oh, yeah. so it goes... Um, Do you know this? <laughs> it goes... <laughs> <laughs> Dawn of Justice, and then I believe it's... Uh, 
Wonder Woman is the next movie. Mm. Yeah, and then I believe that it goes Justice League, and then Suicide Suicide Squad. Squad. Yeah, Yeah. Suicide Squad, which I'm quite excited about. I think that's going to be awesome. I think what got me excited about that was the potential casting. But I thought that was kind of smart of them to like maybe out the back door release the names of Tom Hardy and Ryan Gosling and Will Smith. That sounds an amazing movie already. And then David Ayer is a really interesting director. So good. Um, Fury's out this week I wasn't a huge fan of it but that guy knows how to do testosterone and he knows how to do action he knows how to do dialogue you know macho dialogue which you'd think all these super villains would be yeah I I love that I love that director choice for that Mm. what you know what really struck me about this whole announcement was how detailed it got you know, they were like, okay, well, we've got the actors for all these projects. It was, it was, yeah, it was so yeah, much the, information oh, to pick the, through. The like, Ezra as, Miller drop seemed to be a strange way just to stick it in. It was, You know, yeah. well, how this came out was like a, a <laughs> call to shareholders, wasn't it, or something? And then oh, yeah. that gets dropped in that, that this guy's that been be cast. a huge Comic-Con announcement, bringing yeah. Ezra Miller out on stage, but it was yeah. just there. And the confirmation of Momoa, who's still denying it. I, I, it's so stupid, <laughs> but uh, I, I personally think that an Aquaman movie, if it's it was done right, could be really amazing. It's visually well, it's amazing, so yeah, it, it's distinctive as well. Yeah, compared to what we've seen already. Yeah, it's, I guess isn't isn't the next Avatar a lot of that's going to be underwater? Yeah. I'll be interested to see because they'll it, they'll be around the same time. I think they'll be right. coming out to underwater movies with underworld. Under, underwater worlds. Now that you mentioned Avatar, one of the things that we've talked about several times is: Do you guys think there's actually going to be any appetite for Avatar when it comes around again, or do you think people are just like, "Oh, Avatar, what?" Not for me personally, but I feel I get a sense that when we write about Avatar on the site, there are people for whom that's their Star Wars, right? And that I think there is, but I, I think they just left it too long. Yeah, yeah. As as good as something is, as as much you as enjoyed it, I love the first Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams one. But I think they left that a year too long. They left that too long. It's too long. I felt like they left that too long, and then they did that weird thing with the mystery, which shouldn't have been. Mm. Like I don't want. I I hate that. I I hate the con thing. Like the whole point of the reboot was, it says in the closing dialogue of the movie, to go on brand new adventures, and the whole you've opened this entire parallel universe. You can do whatever the hell you want. Second movie, what do you do? You do Khan. <laughs> well thing, done, guys. If and there's Khan and nothing interesting. No. Like, covering movies, though, there's one thing you should have learned by now, and it's never to doubt James Cameron. He's almost always right, oh, even when the yeah. whole world says that he's wrong, which I've done twice. Yeah. You know, Titanic yeah. and Avatar, I both thought they would be disasters. Yeah. I, I, I am one of the few people that unabashedly loves Avatar. I think it's a great movie, and I... I want to see more of it, but I, I, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, it feels like a really long time when mm. they get it finally yeah. t- to that place. And, and we've seen a couple times recently that movies that, that take too long to come out just don't do as well. I mean, Sin City, prime example. Yeah. But I mean, Avatar is yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still. Wow. So we've gone to Avatar. I don't know how we did that, but. Old Rosalie back to Avatar. Uh, I'll tell you. Let's move on, though. Um, I've got an email that's going to trigger a little conversation we're going to have now. Um, it's from Will Cooper, who says, Duck Hunt. Um, he says, I recently learned that Radio 1 DJ Zane Lowe is reworking the Drive soundtrack with different artists. I'm really looking forward to this as Drive is one of my favourite films, especially because of the soundtrack. My question is, who would you like to rework the score soundtrack on, on a film that you like? So I guess that got us talking about soundtracks in the office and scores and how important they are to movies and how important they are to games. 
And this is a really interesting experiment. That It's actually the BBC that's doing it. It's going to be on BBC Three. Um, I was quite shocked when I saw it, uh, that the studio, the director would let it happen, but apparently it's got Nicholas Winding Refn's blessing. But it's weird yeah. to me just because part of the reason everyone loves Drive is because of the score. Mm-hmm. So it'd be strange watching it with... It's a strange film to do yeah, that with. Yeah, surely if you love Drive, that's why. So <laughs> but I guess there are so many scenes where there's no dialogue and it's just it's just music that it's somewhere, it's it's a film where that would actually... So he's, he's not just putting more music in, he's replacing the iconic ones yes, as well. Okay. As far as I know, yeah. Okay. I don't know, man. Thoughts? <laughs> what, what, are your th- what are your thoughts on this? That's a strange one to do that to, I agree, but um, I think it'd be cool. I think I think uh, if it if it's successful, it's something that will be done more, mm. right? Um, I it's 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 crazy to think about like what could replace what. You know? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that I have something like at the tip of my brain like oh this would plug into this brilliantly. You know, I don't I don't have an example. Like, but that. I wonder if musicians think in those terms sometimes when they're I'm watching sure. a movie and they're thinking ah oh, this bit of music or I wrote that that would have worked there. Well, it's kind of like beat matching when you're DJing, right? Like, if you could think of a piece of music that was the similar rhythm and maybe a, a tonally similar feel, or maybe not, maybe it, it totally changes the context of a scene, could be interesting to just say, hey, I'm going to beat match this whole yeah. movie. Well, of course, this actually happens a lot with movie production, that it doesn't end up with the score that is part of its early kind of deve- yeah. development, like editors and directors will see a lot of a movie cut to a temp score and at the last moment it'll get replaced and sometimes that's very jarring like i think kubrick used to like obviously use classical music a lot because he got attached to it and there were cases where composers were brought along to compose original music and he just didn't want it because he wanted <laughs> to stay with the classical music because it just felt right and obviously that happens a lot on scores yeah I- i'm i'm still really i think you know that kick-ass is one of my favorite superhero movies and i'm still really attached to uh, i saw a super early cut of it with the temp score and at the beginning, when the, the superhero, you think he's taking off and he dies, he's like a crazy person who thinks he can fly. They used the actual uh, Superman, the John Williams Superman score, which was a great moment. It was a great kind of almost like a spoof satire moment. And then they also used uh, All Around the World by Oasis. And then the scene at the end when um, Hit Girls killing everyone, they used November Rain by Guns N' Roses. No, oh, nice. And it was just awesome. You could, and it's funny watching the final film, and you can see that the score that they've written sounds like those yeah. rock yeah. songs. Um, but I'm still attached to that, and it's amazing how different a film can look if, 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 and, and feel if you've uh, heard different music over the top of it. Or new, no music. Um, yeah. I know, like um, one of my favorite films is Halloween. And nobody thought that movie was scary. And then they put the music on. John Carpenter wrote the music. And it's a really simple score. Like, his dad's, I think, a PhD or a professor in music. And I watched a documentary once. And the reason, the way he came up with the score for Halloween was playing on bongos. And there's a time signature on that you can, it's very rarely used. It's 5-4. Mm-hmm. And it means that the, the bars can't be easily divided up. The next bar always spills into the next bar. And he had this idea of, like, Michael Myers can't be stopped. So the music can't be stopped because it always like mm. tips in on itself. Yeah. And that's kind of the theory behind Michael Myers. And you watch it with the music and it's a totally different experience. Yeah, and I feel like the same holds of like Friday the 13th. They, yeah. they, they sampled that that bit and then just chopped it up. And you can't think of Friday the 13th without that. And it's probably quite laughable if you don't have music in horror movies. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you could put like a clown whistle in there or something. It would make it completely different. <laughs> well, I don't think we ever did it, but I remember one of the biggest videos we've ever on an IGN was the Dead Island trailer, right? With the with the action taking place backwards, this tragedy. But it was the music was so important to that, and I remember us talking about the fact: could we could we apply that music to anything else <laughs> and play it backwards, and you would feel slightly moved? Like that right. that trailer wouldn't have been nearly as powerful. I mean, obviously the images were quite powerful, but the, the music as well was such a big part of that. Yeah, for sure. So do you guys have any suggestions for a movie that you'd want to see remixed? Yeah, I probably should have thought about that before I... <laughs> I, I mean, I'd I don't know. There. You know, if, if you want to look at a movie in recent memory that yeah. is like super reliant on soundtrack, it's Guardians of the Galaxy. And think about like what even one song choice would mean to that mm-hmm. difference would mean to that movie. And... and it's it's kind of crazy because you can't imagine that opening sequence being anything else, you know, yeah. at this point. Yeah. And that's also an interesting movie because it's, I'm going to think of film school. Is it diegetic music? Is if you can see the source of music being played in the film. Right. So he's mm. playing, very often he's playing the music yeah. that you're hearing. It's not like a otherworldly source that only the audience is hearing. Right. I love that. I love moments in movies where you think it's just the score that's over the top and then somebody yeah. turns it off <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, awesome. Was, well, another was... one of my favorite movies is Donnie Darko. Yeah. And I've never watched the director's cut, but because of certain things I've read about it, like the opening scene when Donnie's riding his bicycle around uh, over the credits, he wanted, I think, he, I think I'm right, he wanted Never Tear Us Apart by an excess, but he couldn't get the rights to it, mm. couldn't afford them, so he ended up with Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen, which is what got me into Echo and the Bunnymen hearing that song on that movie. And I love that scene. And apparently with the director's cut, when he had a bit more money, I think he was able to buy in excess. So he's used that song on that and he's moved Killing Moon to somewhere else in the movie. Mm. I don't want to see that. The the, the, the Donnie Darko I grew up on and fell in love with was started off with Killing Moon, which felt like... But that's not what he had in his head when he wrote it. So it's weird. Like, it's... Does it belong to him? Does it belong to me now? Like... It's it's it's. I'm not been able to bring myself to watch it, so I don't know how I feel about this drive thing. Like, will it make? Yeah. Will it change my feelings towards the film? And will I remember it in a different way if the last version I've seen has a bunch of different songs at different times? Well, I think if it's successful, it should make you feel differently about the mm. movie because that's the whole point. Is that mu- a music? The music in a movie is a, another character, if yeah. you will. So, like, if it doesn't make you feel different, then they probably weren't that successful. I was going to mention. Um, one of the things I really love that I've been talking about with you guys all week is the Nick. And mm. it's it's uh, music that doesn't belong in that era. It's really oh. ambient and it's mm. really like, um, it's just really, it's really mellow um, electronic sounds. And the movie's set in the 1900s in New York. It's about a, an experimental surgeon um, with Clive Owen. It's awesome. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's great. But Cliff Martinez, I think, does that soundtrack. And I would love to see that like lo-fi take applied to something that uh, that isn't lo-fi. Well, that's got me thinking about some uh, a Knight's Tale. So a Knight's Tale was this right. period piece, but they used modern music. So they had the dance, and rather than using medieval music, they used uh, Golden Years, I think, by right. David Bowie. That might be interesting to see some historical pieces using modern rock songs, like a fight yeah. scene done to ACDC or something, but from Braveheart. Yeah, um, Buzz Luhrmann does that all the time too. He he takes you know music from a different era. Um, you know. Buzz Luhrmann movies feel like films that could be remixed. Actually, oh absolutely, the way yeah. the soundtracks. What what about a Tarantino movie though? Changing the song choices in Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. What Kill about Bill? The- I feel like so much of that is cut to the music. Yeah. yeah. 
What about the cutting off the ear scene? If it wasn't stuck in the middle with you? I mean, it wouldn't mean the same thing. That, uh, and that's what I'm talking about. Mm. So I think some, peop- some things lend themselves to other music, some don't. But you could take a movie with a score and put actual like pop songs in it and mm. instead of the score and see what that does mm. for you. That'd be kind of... Kind I guess of the difference here is that Richard Kelly made those decisions himself on the director's cut of Donnie Darko, whereas this has nothing to do with the director of Drive, so... I'm curious to see this. Yeah. I want to see it as an experiment, but I think, I think it happens quite often yeah. with older movies, like as a compositional exercise for young composers, or even more established ones. Like um, if you get the original um, Universal version of Dracula on Blu-ray, you can take away the original score and play the Philip Glass score that he did for kind of live performances. Yeah, and obviously Philip Glass did the music for Candyman. I think. Did he? Yeah. It's wow. this, this really I like you said, obviously. He did. <laughs> Sorry, it's because my old flatmate is a composer for film and TV, so he just like plays just loads of film talk. music. And it's just kind of that really regular music yep. box music that's yeah, really yeah. symmetrical. I find quite, again, for Halloween, like quite unnerving in horror mm, yeah. movies. Disturbing. Same with Tubular Bells in The Exorcist. It's kind of almost a little bit childlike. Um, right, right. Yeah. So um, we've not really talked about games much, but have you got a, th- a favourite game score or a favourite movie score? I'm intrigued. The Uncharted music. So we were doing some uh, mashups. Of, actually, for the pod quiz the other night, we did a round where we took um, visuals from a movie and music from a game. Sometimes we swapped them over. And there was a hidden connection between all of them. And it was the same composer in each case. Right. So we had Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 playing, uh, but the music from Lion King, and that's Hans Zimmer. And um, Clint Mansell did Requiem for a Dream and he did Mass Effect 3. Yeah. So there's a lot of He's composers. Awesome. Michael Giacchino started out in video games, did yeah. Medal of Honor. So yeah. there's a lot of guys who've made the transition. And there's some guys who just keep on working in both. And there's some guys yeah. who just do video games. They love video games. Mm. I think the Uncharted music's really stirring. It's like, feels kind of really iconic to me. Every time I hear that on the loading screen before an Uncharted game, I know what's going to come. It's like hearing the Indiana Jones music mm. for me now. I feel like soundtracks as well, like not just scores, but, um, you know, there there are certain games that are completely, you can't separate the the soundtrack from like Katamari, um, that original game, you know, those songs play in my head, when, you know, like even when I'm not playing yeah. the game. But things like, for me, Tony Hawk and stuff like that, like that introduced me to bands and music that... I didn't know, and then also yeah. sort of like reinforce the things that I love, like uh, or you know, like one single songs that define a game, like uh, yeah, 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 and Crazy Taxi, yeah, yeah. the offering offspring song, like that. I will never associate that with anything but Crazy Taxi now. Yeah, it was like really. Striking moment for me was playing Vice City for the first time, getting the first car, driving along. Billy Jean starts playing. Yeah, this is cool. This is the, <laughs> basically this is the coolest game I've ever played. Oh man, Rockstar does so well with licensing stuff, yeah. and they get so much good stuff. It's just oh. there's the famous scene as well when you cross into Mexico in Red Dead Redemption, and the kind of acoustic music starts playing, and that's that's striking. The end of Max Payne Three, I think it's French band Air, is it? No, that's something else I'm thinking of. But um, the soundtracks in the GCA, they put them together so immaculately well. You just want to like sit there and flick through radio stations to find. What I'd love to hear? play a game that relies on like one band to to do all the music. Like mm. I'd like to play a game where it's like, oh, I'm playing Borderlands, but it's only Muse doing the soundtrack, yeah. or I'm playing, you know, some other game. It's like Underworld doing the soundtrack. That'd be really exciting. Like, yeah, like a cool experiment to try something like that. Yeah. Have you got a favorite movie score, or one that you listen to the most, Chris? Hmm. 
it's tough. I don't sit around and listen to movie scores all that often. Um, but, oh, man, I'll think about it. I don't I'll, I'd quite like to see, to answer the question, I'd quite like to see some of the superhero movies, like maybe the original Superman, the motion picture with a different piece of music. Yeah, I've different got, to that iconic piece of music, or, or swap the Superman and Batman theme tunes over or something <laughs> and see how that feels or to watch. Or put the Man of Steel score on it. Yeah. I'd be in, I think that would be an interesting experiment. But they, they have said that in like last, I remember there's been a bit of a debate over the last kind of five or six years that a lot of the kind of new superhero movies haven't had really striking themes. True, like, agreed, I yeah. can probably maybe do, I'm not very good at homing stuff, but Alan Silvestri's score on the Avengers is kind of an iconic, there's not an iconic yet, but it's a, kind of a memorable Avengers theme. But everything else, I couldn't tell you the Thor music really. No, uh, yeah. The yeah. Iron Man music. Yeah. I just remember ACDC. Yeah, I can yeah, I mean, the last, uh, let's see, the last real franchise that has movie that's stuck with me, or music that's stuck with me is Harry Potter, probably, like... That's Williams again. Yeah. You're going to sing it for us now. <laughs> you know, it also helps that you play things like Lego Harry yeah, Potter, yeah. and then it's, like, it's going and going and going, yeah. and it's, like, then it gets ingrained in your head. But I remember the first time I heard the Game of Thrones music, I was like, eh, I don't know. And now, know. We'll talk. now it's, like, awesome, you know? Like, every time I hear it, I'm like, it, it's, like... Pavlov's dog I'm like show me some violence <laughs> and some <laughs> intrigue and plenty of nudity please uh, yeah cool well that's a great email thank you Will I uh, hope we answered your question it'd be good to know what people think about that drive uh, version if they see it on the TV or equally what your favourite kind of scores or soundtracks are so if you want to write to us the address is IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com and we are going to go straight into your actual feedback uh, Chris I believe you have the first piece all right, so this says, uh, Hi, guys, and Duck Hunt. I just wanted to know what you thought about certain Hollywood blockbusters making their films more accessible to a Chinese market. Transformers 4 and Iron Man 3 would be two examples of this. Is Hollywood starting to move more towards the East in order to tap into the ludicrously lucrative luxuries, ooh, that's nice alliteration, sir, <laughs> that China has to offer, i.e. much money and many people? Well, many people is definitely a, a good thing. If you believe this to be true, would this affect the box office records of other films which chose not to feature China. Could Christopher Nolan's film Interstellar, for example, suffer economically from its lack of Chinese influence? Kind regards, Ed Lauder. I have a specific take on this. Very, very specific take mm. on this. Well, tell us, Hollywood, Chris. Um, so, the we all view this as a very lucrative thing. But um, the way that China is split up... China takes a humongous, humongous cut of a Hollywood movie. And you want that, you want to be there because there's a sheer amount of bodies and, and I think Hollywood's got a lot, of, uh, a lot of success in China right now. Yeah. But in order to be in China, you have to make creative decisions that aren't necessarily in line with your movie. You have to make your movie way longer in some cases. Um, you know... Uh, the perfect, perfect example is Transformers 4, which, which uh, Ed brought up in this email. Now, that movie probably has a fourth act due to China. You know, you, you finish the movie, and then there's a whole other 40 minutes or something like that set in Hong Kong. And there's all these crazy rules, too. Like, if you are going to get Chinese funding, it's like they will put stipulations on characters. They'll say something like, oh, yeah, the Chinese characters have to be smarter than the other characters in the movies. They need this amount of screen time. They will be involved in these actions. At that point in time, and I'm not saying that, you know, Transformers is, uh, I mean, cynically, it's not like the, you know, it's a collaborative work. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. It's it's definitely money and it's commerce and art combining, right? So, but 
at some point in time, I think you're compromising what your vision for the film will be just to get some financing. So it's an interesting problem. But in the end of the day, you're not even seeing these huge, huge returns from something like this. Mm. Um, you might get 40% of that take. So, I mean, I think other territories are also still very important. But China, they have to figure it out a little bit. And I think maybe it's going to come down to who is the best negotiator with these financing companies. Yeah, and I find it weird. Like, will a whole country not go and see a film if none of it's set? in their country or feature characters from that country because we certainly don't work that way no, in England no. I guess Thor the Dark World some of that was in London but the rest of the Marvel movies yeah some of it was in Asgard yeah <laughs> so that, I'm, I'm that's, not going to see a movie unless it's in Asgard that's weird to me this perception that you have to have some Chinese element or else people won't turn out in their droves where Surely just a good movie is a good movie Maybe that will cross in terms of how it will be exhibited. Yeah. So if it, it, for sure that. that. It will get into more theatres, whereas it might just not run And China it. is the biggest market, but there's Japan, there's Russia, there's all these other markets that are opening up at the moment as well. There's the Middle East. It's like, well, what, what are you going to do in those places where... Yeah. You can't accommodate everybody either. You just have to pick your spots. And I think it will boil down to where are you getting your financing from. Is it, mm. If it's coming from the States and from China, we will see a lot more movies that are set in both places. Or, you know, let's say you're going to have an international location. And be like, oh, well, internationally we're going to do this thing. I guess we're going to make it in China yeah. because that's How what are they going to come up with ways, though, to keep setting elements well, of movies so, in I China, like some movies, Three of Summer or something? There's yeah. some movies where it's very easy. Like for James Bond, very easy to do this and accommodate right. that kind of strategy. Mm. So some of it takes place in China. Great. Did they but do not, that but not every movie. Bond film. That's but the thing. No, no. I'm not, it, it's, it seems weird to me that they're going to... I don't know. The, 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 problem, the problem is as well, the, the Marvel movies, none of them, what the, the stories they're based on, none of them come out of China. None of these... We've got, you've got a villain that they didn't choose to use as well. Yeah. <laughs> Pro- maybe it's for true. similar reasons, though, to not Perhaps. offend the Chinese market, which is fair enough I, I, in I, that case. There was a way to do the Mandarin, and they did it already in that first part of the movie. And I liked Iron Man 3. I know a lot of people hated yeah, it, I but we're fans. Yeah. There was a way to do that movie, and they were already doing it in that movie to make him menacing and make him not Chinese and call him the Mandarin. You know, like, it was already happening, so I I, kind of feel like that's, you know, I don't know if that argument holds water. I think for certain things, you know, these Marvel movies are going to play across the world, and everybody's going to enjoy them, and you don't need the market necessarily. But of of everybody who is accommodated, you know, like, these kinds of uh, decisions... Number one movie this year was Transformers, and it's a billion. It's the <laughs> only movie above a billion worldwide, and they were the biggest example of a movie that catered to that audience. So I think it'd be very interesting to see what Bond does. I think that's a good example because it's about to start shooting. It comes out next Christmas. Bond did China in Tomorrow Never Dies with Pierce I mean, Brosnan. They, they went to Yow. Macau, you know, um, in uh, Skyfall. Which yeah, is, I think they went to Macau and Skyfall, Yeah, right? they did yeah. go to Macau, yeah. yeah so, like, so will they do it again? Who knows if that's... If China's, that was China's a big country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who knows Mission if Impossible was... 3 was in Shanghai. It's very interesting to see what's next. If, we'll see. if this is going to continue, because there's going to be a lot of shoehorning in some of these storylines, isn't there, if that's the case? To directly answer this question, could Christopher Nolan's film Interstellar suffer economically? I don't know if it'll suffer economically, but it is 
maybe not um it's not a film that's like aligned necessarily completely to chinese tastes either and i think maybe it could be more successful it was like oh hey we're gonna go into space and um we're taking people of all these nationalities with us you know like using chinese technology (laughs) exactly but i mean it's and like i said chinese uh, china's not the only one you could align with other people it's just they have a lot of bodies there but, you know, I've, I've heard that, you know, Hollywood still doesn't know completely what they're doing there. You know, they still they still don't know exactly how to extract as much money as possible from there. So, like, you see these big flashy headlines like it's a billion dollar movie. Well, it's a billion dollar movie, but maybe you spent 300 million. Maybe you gave 300 million of that to China mm-hmm. for their help in, in bringing it out. So then it's like your bottom line is still not good, as yeah. great as yeah, yeah. you thought it would be. Mm. Uh, Dan, I think you've got the next bit of feedback. I've got a this similar piece. This is the most piece. highbrow show we've ever done. It's, it's we, talking about international relations and economics. They say that we sound cleverer. The Americans, <laughs> they, they <laughs> sound cleverer. Uh, so we've had been having an ongoing discussion on the podcast about our reviews and how we do our reviews yeah, on games. Yeah, we've about reviews a lot recently, um, kind of um, kicked off by Alien Isolation and the function of kind of professional reviews. This is from Alex, who says, Duck Hunt, I enjoyed listening to the conversation about game reviews in episode 249, and I am completely different to the majority, it seems. I am nowhere near a fanboy, and when I read reviews, I look for 100% honesty. If I want to read a fanboy review, I can go to the public forums. But if I want to know the details on how a game looks, plays and feels in reality, I will turn to the likes of IGN for honesty. Professional reviews on Destiny have definitely pushed my decision not to buy it. While the graphics, longevity and levelling systems are a big draw for me, reading the strong reviews on the campaign and multiplayer have happily directed my funds elsewhere. Had I read the reviews on Amazon, I would have definitely fallen into the hype and thrown my money away and felt disappointed, just like I was with Titanfall. So no real question there, but just kind of reaffirming hmm. what we were talking about recently on the site. Um, obviously, reviews are always contentious on IGN. Yeah, I've got, yeah. I've got. It'd be good to get your input, Chris. But I've got, I've got a similar email from uh, Dylan, Dylan Wynn, who, who's actually sent us a really long email. But I'll just uh, use the first few sentences. He says, "Hi, Mother Duck Hunters," which is nice. <laughs> I've not, not heard that wow. before. Uh, the topic of anticipated ultra-hyped game releases and their reviews is something that I've never really paid attention to before the release of Destiny. I subscribed to various video game review portals, IGN included, and I discovered that you can find a middle ground that is more fact than opinion via a selection of reviews. That's where I feel you make your decision. Unless, of course, a single reviewer shares similar views and taste to yours, and then you're laughing. It strikes me that a lot of fans find it really hard to separate fact from opinion. 20 hours gameplay is 20 hours fact. Whether 20 hours is too long to be chased by a xenomorph is just opinion. Which I think is quite interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah, it boils down to you maybe will game in a way different way than the reviewer. So I think your responsibility as a reader is to find those people on IGN or wherever you find them to that you agree with normally that you would feel, you know, is your buddy that you can trust when Mm. you're, you know, you're like asking somebody. So the same thing holds for films and TV shows and all that stuff. Um, TV shows, I think, are a little bit more synonymous with games because the experience is a longer commitment. With the movie, I think people are like, oh, I'm going to watch a movie, it'll be an hour and a half and I'm mm. done, you know, so or two hours. Um, also, I think it's, um, with games as well, historically, is a review used to be very much kind of, is this value for money? Right. Because games are much more expensive. And I think right. a lot of all games criticism, criticism kind of revolved around that question, am I going to get good value for money? Whereas I think games have diversified to the point where that doesn't really hold up anymore as a proposition. And it's a small, and, and the less money a game costs, the less that um, professional reviews matter. Um, the, so a good example is like an iPhone game. You download an iPhone game for 99 cents. Um, 
you'll take a punt. You, yeah, you'll just be like, I'll try that. You know, like I, it's like less than I'm, you know, buying a soda. Um, so. I, I think people are willing to do that kind of thing, but I do think it's still a purchase decision. Even in one of those emails, the person person was saying, "I decided to spend my money elsewhere." You know, yeah. it, games are still expensive. Games are still, you know, like I. What I lament because I play a lot of games. I buy more games than I play. I buy all these games and I'm like, I play them for two hours and then I just can't. I'm too busy. I can't get back to them. The ones that truly, truly hold my interest are, you know, the ones that I can. I want to get to the end of, I like schedule my life to get to the end of, you know? Um, but it's tough, man. It's tough. You have different people playing them with different opinions, different play styles. Like for me, I like certain bad games just because I like an element of that game. Like I like to grind. I like large scale sort of action stuff where I'm just hacking and slashing all yeah. the time. So it's like if the, if the game has that in it and it's not good story wise, it's not particularly yeah, some good. types of games where that's incidental. To yeah, enjoyment. So, so I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. You know, like I it, I want a review to address that though. I want a review to say, hey, if you like these things, you're gonna like this game. Yeah. And so I think it's a responsibility of reviewers to kind of take a different point of view too and say, you know, I didn't enjoy this element of it, but if you're a big co-op gamer, you know, if you like couch co-op, you might like this. You know. It's a tough, complicated subject, it, it's and a, we're it's trying to do our best. Yeah. Uh, am I next am bit I for next? you? I think we might lighten up a little bit now. I yeah. hope so. I don't know. No? Yeah, probably. Okay. I'm just ready to follow up to the question from episode 249 about gaming, gaming TV shows. Just ah. recently, a program called Video Game Nation has started on Challenge Saturdays at 10 a.m. Present by another journalist you might know called. Oh boy, what's his name? Did you do this to me on purpose? <laughs> I totally didn't. Uh. Aofi Wilson? I'm not sure if that is. Aofa. Aofa Wilson. Okay. Sorry. Aofa Wilson. Um, Thought people should check it out. George. You know, it's really funny. Back in the day, IGN had their own show in San Francisco only called Gamer Nation. Did we? I didn't even know that. On broadcast TV. So, like, we had a a show called Gamer Nation. Awesome. uh, it was it was it was very odd to turn on your TV and I actually see IGN personalities there. I'm not 100 percent sure, but we've got two new people started at IGN in the UK office this mm-hmm. week, um, Gav and Rory. Yeah, I think Gav might have even worked on Video Game Nation. Might have to go ask him. Actually, I think he's I got met a new Ava, video wasn't Ava at our quiz. She was at the I did, put, I met quiz her. the other night. Um, I haven't seen it. Have you watched it, Dan? I've watched it briefly. Yeah, yeah. it's um, a good t- a talking head show with lots of um, British games journalists. I'm not on it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, Keith, <laughs> Keith Stewart no, and yeah. the Guardian, and yeah, lots of people. Do you, is there a gap in the market in the states where there's there's no TV? It's it's a it's a weird thing because I think um, a lot of uh, games commentary happens online. Online. And I think that's where people are used yeah. to seeing it. Was there ever, like, historically a big games TV show There's in G4, which was a games, pretty much G- yep. but games, mainly games TV channel mm-hmm. when it started. And there are things like Tech TV, yeah. which had a lot of that content, you know, Adam Sessler. And, and the big thing in this country, like as I'm sure you know, is Games Master. Yeah, we've like, got a show called like, Games Master. Games Master probably get an email about that once a month, I mm-hmm. think. And a lot of the people of my generation grew up watching that. I used to watch it with my mum every week. Right. And it's like kids going on competing for something called the Golden Joystick. You'd have... That's amazing. Um, uh, kids asking for game help and... Reviews game, as well. Reviews. Alex Simmons was actually on. Yeah, like 21-year-old Alex Simmons Reviewing with a it. very different accent to the one he has now. And no How's facial that possible? hair. Uh, he's gotten posher in the intervening years. Really? He's a bit more middle class. He's, he's, a bit more, he's a bit more cockney when he's reviewing... What is it? Is it a Simpsons? Um, Game? Is, um, Christy's Super Fun House. Yeah. 
it is on YouTube. I find that since I've been here and I've only been here like four days, I'm already saying like idioms um, from the culture. It's weird. <laughs> I'm like, I don't say a little, I say a bit of, you know, like it's, it's strange how quickly you're adapting. You pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. A bit of is not really a thing in the, in the States. And the thing is Games Master was huge because it was pre-internet. It was pre-YouTube. Yeah. And that was the only place you could get kind of commentary on games and insight on games. Whereas now you especially the, the kind of the people that are consuming games they're online savvy and they're getting that information online mm. so it's very difficult to pitch a tv show now i think yeah and it's also it's like we all used to read nintendo power i'm assuming so yeah. it's like nintendo power it's it doesn't exist like it used to it doesn't exist at all so where does that go it goes to the internet you know like essentially i think the the early days of IGN n64.com and ign.com slash n64 you know that kind of helped to replace transition you know uh, nintendo power and that's like the basis of where IGN started back in serious serious like nintendo news back when the n64 was the the best console going well arguably mm. i had a playstation yeah. Dan, what have you got? This is from Carl Barrett. Hey guys, I was wondering what the best review. Oh, this very appropriate guest to have on to discuss this very issue. Mm. I was wondering what the best reviewed films by IGN were when I found out that very few films have been given a 10 out of 10 on the IGN scale. Multiple games and TV episodes have been given a 10, but why so little? Why so few films? I'm guessing that games can be given a 10 even if they are not perfect because of how they advance the genre technically. An example of which is GTA 5, and films cannot do this. Uh, as for TV, I guess the short amount of time per episode and the length of a season compared to a film can make for better storytelling and character development than a film, is an example being Breaking Bad. Why do you think very few films on the IGN scale have received a 10? Inception is the only one I can find. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it comes down to review philosophy to some extent. Um, I think there haven't, there haven't been a lot of reviewers at IGN on the movie side who thought that things were worthy of that score. So, I mean, I think that's partially a personal thing. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I I don't totally agree with that. I think there are films that are 10s. There are films that I would give 10s to that other yep. people would not. Um, but, you know, I, I think we gave Inside Lewin Davis a 10, didn't we? We did. I think we did. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I, I think that review. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, Lee pretty Sigurd sure did. we did that. I mean, it's a great movie. Um, mm, I I, but I personally wouldn't have given it a ten. Nah, me neither. But, but you're a huge fan of Godzilla. I know that. Huge <laughs> fan. I was a huge. I, I, I really like actually, Godzilla. Okay, I'm not so trying to like call you out on that. I really I, like Godzilla. When I got done with Godzilla, when I was watching it, I was watching it with um, two of our film editors, uh, Jim Vavita and, and Roth Quinnett, yeah. and we, we were all sitting in a row. But we, there were people in between us, and um, I texted him right after the movie and I was like 10 like it was a joke like I wouldn't mm. give that movie a 10 but like I was so sort of viscerally mm. you know moved and excited by that movie I was like oh man this was a great ride now I mean I don't think that movie is a 10 for me a 10 would be like the Royal Tenenbaums you know like that's for me like mm. the perfect movie or Lost in Translation would get a 10 for me like of more recent movies um, something like Avengers though for what I set out to do pushed towards that for me i remember i think i talked to you about it because i think i saw it before you or any of the guys in the states and we for me now not now a couple of years have passed but at the time when i came out i was super jazzed and thought and i was saying to you this isn't far off yeah no that, and 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 i think 
it's funny because you can actually give something some time, and once in a while key. you you're you're you're. It's really difficult in the moment though, because you've got to make a decision yeah. right there. Because I remember with sure. Guardians when I reviewed Guardians, I was like, I need to suddenly to check this. Like yeah. I was quite confident with my opinion, but I just kind of want to gauge everyone, especially if I go out there and say, even though it's my review, my byline, but I'm saying on IGN that this is the best Marvel yeah. movie. I kind of you, you need time. You yeah. need time to digest these things. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to give a gut reaction. But I look at the films in my top ten. There's nothing from the last ten years. I don't think uh, there might be in a few years. But it takes it takes time for these things to sink in and yeah. become classics. Yeah. You can say something's an instant classic, but honestly, you don't know. It's a hard um, thing to judge. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good bit of advice. Um, Dan Stapleton, who's our reviews editor on the game side, he said to me when I've been umming and ahhing about scores I've given games. He says. I look back on my career 10 years reviewing and you don't often regret giving something um, too low a score. You'll always regret the things that you gave too high scores mm, for right. in the moment. And if, you, if, you, if you're having that debate in yourself, it's probably lower than you think. Yeah. I, maybe I gave a 10 to an episode of Sherlock. I've not, yeah. I've not given it to a movie. But for me also, since our sliding scale changed from out of five to out of effectively 100, I... I haven't been able to bring myself to give 100 out of 100 to anything. I just find it a strange concept. Whereas if it was 5 out of 5. 5 out of 5 is more... more it's, it's, it's different. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more opaque. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's a, a different thing mentally, isn't it? To get you to wrap your head around. Because you're like, I could take off just a couple points and then it would be a little bit more accurate to my feeling. And I think that's, that's sort of like how I've... Um, actually come to terms with our rating scale because we've gone through different iterations on the movies. We used to do stars and we used to do full numbers and mm. now it's the 100 point scale. And, you know, over time you're kind of like, well, yeah, you know, it helps you differentiate those little bits, you know, in between. But, you know, I mean, a rating scale is fundamentally somebody's opinion at the end of the day. And all it's not like we all communally decide on scores. It's still that individual who gives a score. And so it's really important for people reading reviews to sit there and think, you know, it's a hard thing to assign a score to a piece of art. And it's a really hard thing to think that that thing is going to hold to your opinion for your entire life. It, it just won't. No. You know, you think about, about the movies that you used to love, and you, you may watch that thing again and be like, oh, you know, nostalgically this is interesting, but uh, it's flawed in A, B, and C ways. Something like Gremlins, you know, where you're like, oh my God, this is the best movie I ever saw when I was a kid. And you watch it now and you see the flaws, and you're like, I love this still, but here are all the reasons that it doesn't really work. It can't be, yeah. Um, I've given two game scores. Um, I used to, uh, for f about six years, I worked on the game side of things. And I've given two tens, and it just so happened that they were companion games. Um, Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Ages, and Oracle of Seasons. Um, the pinnacle of what you could do on that platform at the time, on the Game Boy at the time, it was like the ultimate. They were great, great Zelda games, and they kind of harkened back to the golden age of Zelda and all that stuff. And so I felt... You know, they executed properly. There was nothing buggy about it. There was, everything was, you know, amazing. Mm. So that deserves a 10 in yeah. my mind. You know, like if it's the, the pinnacle of what that thing was trying to achieve and, you know, what what you love as a gamer. I think it's also hard, the word that we assign to a 10 on IGN, it's masterpiece. That's right. such a weighty word. Mm. Yeah, it's it not is. like It's not like amazing, which is our nine. Like, I feel that right. that's in your head that's a little bit like, oh, God, I'm, I'm certifying something as a masterpiece. But, I mean, you would, I mean, I, what would you, of history, mm. what would you give a 10 to? Um, Jurassic on the movie Park. Side? Jurassic Park. 
Mm. See, I wouldn't because of the kids, because the kids annoy the hell out of me. No, I, was, I was a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> See, oh, that's another interesting discussion. I don't like movies with kids in it because, because like, when I was a kid, I would aspire to be the older character. I would aspire okay. to be, like, Luke Skywalker or Han Solo or something like that. I didn't want to see a kid who was, like, succeeding. Okay. Goonies being the exception. Mm. Uh, the Godfather, I think, is perfect mm. film. Yep. I mean, they're, they're kind of... Con- a lot of the what are considered the classics right. are, you know, pretty perfect all the way through. I love Goodfellas. Yeah. Citizen Kane's a great movie. There's great people movie. that don't like it, but, man, that, that holds together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's relevant still today. Like, you watch those things and it's like, oh, this stuff is still going yeah. on. Maybe going on more even yeah, than it used to. Yeah, that could be Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. Uh, Jaws. I don't know. They, they, oh. It just feels like it needs time before I can consider it a, a 10. Yeah. And the, the, because it's a sliding scale of 100, it gives me the ability to not do that right now. Yeah. But, you know, it goes the other way, too. Like, sometimes um, you'll review something. And I love uh, Roger Ebert would do this from time to time where he would go back and revisit some of the things that he had previously reviewed. And he would say, oh, you know, it, I was harsh on this when it came out. But, you know, over time, I've actually seen it a couple times and really appreciated it. You know, oh, There's like, quite a few really instances of him giving a film an average score and it's still getting into his best of the year. Cause by the end of the year, he's kind of realized how much mm-hmm. he actually appreciates. He's still thinking about it. Well, there are movies that I, I walk out of and I'm like, oh, man, that's so amazing. And then two weeks later, I'm not thinking about it at all. And then there are some times I'm, I'm watching a movie and I'm like, I don't really know how I feel about that. And then by the end of the year, I'm like, that was one of my favorite movies of the year. Melancholia was like that for me. Mm. Like, I didn't really know where that f- like was on my scale. And it, I, I thought and thought and thought about it. And I was like, it was a, a, a brilliant work of mm. art, you know? It was like a really, really like, well in, done. Inside Louis Davis was like that for me and I was so hyped for it because it was the Coen Brothers I love Bob Dylan and then I read Lee's review out of Cannes and I was so pumped for it then when I watched it I was like not really but then like you say it kind of stayed with me and it's a film I've thought about more than maybe any other Coen Brothers movie and so maybe in five years time I'll feel like that's a 10 out of 10 I don't know but it's and that's something you you either value or you don't like I feel like if if it's valuable to you to for a movie to stick with you yeah. and to think about it more um, and analyze it kind of in your brain, then that maybe is a, a you know we'll give it a bump up I'm, over time. I'm glad I didn't review Big Lebowski the first time I saw it. Oh, me either. Exactly. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't review Kill Bill the first time I saw it because I saw it and I was like, well, that was a little trite and like I, you will never hear me say this now, but I was like, it's maybe too violent. Right. And now I'm like. Pfft. I love that movie. Yeah. What's happened in your life? And, yeah. and I, I just got cold, man. <laughs> but no, I, lo- I love that movie. And it would have been a shame for me to like take... And it wasn't like I had a negative reaction to it. I just was like not as excited about it as I've seen in subsequent viewings. So, yeah. Well, that's a really meandering answer to that question. <laughs> but it's but, a good question because yeah. I've thought about it before and there's no real answer to it, but... No, and I, I mean, I think you, it, there's humans behind everything, right? Yeah. It's, it's not like there, you know, there's like one answer to it. Yeah. Uh, I've got the final piece of feedback, and it's more just saying something nice to us, and I thought I'd read it out for once. Lovely. Uh, it's for from Julia Bloomfield, who says, Hi all, uh, with the last percent of my battery life, I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for such a brilliant evening held for the 250th podcast. We had a great time. We had to run for our train, otherwise we would have stuck around and had more celebratory drinks. It was cool to meet you guys. Winning was just a bonus, but one gratefully accepted as myself and my boyfriend who organised us getting to the event are poor. And she goes and say lots of lovely things, which I won't all read out. But uh, thank you, Julia. But thank you for coming down. Like, it really meant a lot having 
That was great. Everyone in the room together, like of us all having fun together. I was really hungover the next day. <laughs> I can we, attest. And to you were just yeah. really close to me. I was like, yeah. oh no, I'm going to smell. <laughs> it was you cool. didn't smell. It was cooler how many people I'm talking to are, are doing journalism courses or are writing their own blogs and want to be film and game reviewers. And it's. And it's by the great. way, I will say, as somebody who hires people, that is the number one thing that you can do is mm. actually do it. Like, if you're wondering how to break into the industry, any industry like this that requires writing and passion, do it. Don't not do it. Uh, like, don't wait for Don't permission. wait for something. You, the internet is like a, an audition tape for anyone to do anything that they want to do. Get on YouTube. Put your views out there. Write a piece. You know, have your own blog. It's all available to you. It's And if you're not doing that, honestly, I probably won't even look at you to hire. Yep. It's good. It's good advice. Uh, let's talk about what's out this week. Uh, Dan, there seems to be a go, bumper. There's a glut of games. Yeah. Um, so Civilization Beyond Earth, actually, our review went live this afternoon by Dan Saverton. He gave it 7.9. says it's good. He's a big Civilization fan. Um, I don't think quite gets the lofty heights of Civ Five, which is pretty mm. awesome. But and he says the aliens are actually quite annoying and the game kind of lacks a bit of personality. But mm. it's, built, it's built on the foundation of Civ Five, so it's going to be a good game at least. Um, Bayonetta 2. We gave it a pretty amazing score. Um, a lot of places giving it 10s, actually, calling it a mass pace. We gave it a 9.5. It's kind of like... Do you like Bayonetta, Chris? Uh, I, I liked it. I, I hadn't played enough of it, so now this is kind of inspiring me to get both games and play them. Yeah, because this isn't Cameo, but it's it's Platinum. And I think Platinum kind of like really... you know, Every game they make, I think, is amazing. Yeah. Like, it's really strong. Like, I look to them as one of the developers where I go, I'm going to buy their game regardless of if I know anything about it because yeah. that name means something to me now. Yeah. Um, we've also got Fantasia Music Evolved. We don't have a review on that yet, but I'm hearing it's really good. I thought we did. I Does thought we had. Up? I think we have. I saw, I saw, I think it's, I've seen the draft. I didn't want to say the score in case it's not actually lived. Uh, I believe it's in the eights. Yeah. Um, and I... I, I don't think I saw the draft. I think it was live on the okay. side. I just want <laughs> to throw that out there. But um, I'm, I'm actually quite curious about that game mm, because it is a... It, oh, we do, it, we do. It's fine, it's, don't worry. It's definitely like, um, you know, it, it has to be an Xbox One exclusive <laughs> because of Kinect. Um, yeah, and it's a bit sucky for the guys who made it. Yeah. The fact that Kinect is now an optional peripheral for new Xbox owners if they want it to be. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, hopefully there are enough early adopters who are hungry for having a, an exclusive yeah, Xbox 8.6. One game. Um, that's a good score. That's a really good score. Um, you know what was pretty good was that uh, the Disney um, Kinect game that had you go around Disneyland. Oh, uh, yeah, the, yeah. Disneyland Adventure or whatever. Yeah. Um, it was cool because as a person who lives in L.A., you know, go to Disneyland all the time, um, it looks exactly like Disneyland. Like, every nook and cranny. They didn't put the bathrooms in, but everything else is, like, absolutely like you would do that. That's so awesome. if you don't have a chance to go to Disneyland, it's a great way to see it. That's cool. A um, few of the games, Just Dance 2015, more Just Dance. If you're gonna get that, you probably know what it's about already. <laughs> Need for Speed Rivals: The Complete Edition. I reviewed that last year. It's a really cool Need for Speed game. I gave it a bit lower than everyone else. I think we give it an eight. That's just all the cars, all the DLC they've released in the intervening year. Yeah. Uh, Shadow Warrior is now coming out for next-gen consoles. It's already out on PC, and we gave it in the eights as well. Mm. So another strong, strong game, a strong week for games. Cool. Uh, with the movies, there's some good movies out this week as well. I'll work my way up from the bottom. <laughs> uh, Serena is out this week. The film that, if you're American, you cannot see, <laughs> in spite <laughs> of the fact that it stars the most famous actress in the world right now and Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper, who've had huge success with Silver Lines Playbook and American Hustle. This should have been the hat trick, but um, it's actually been on the shelf for 
over a year. It was shot before American Hustle. Yeah. But for whatever reason, and based on our review, I think I know the reason it's not come out. We gave it a four and a half out of five and said it's pretty damn terrible. There's uh, there's an interesting disparity in opinion because I was seeing stuff on, on TV and on buses where it was like four stars. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm hearing overwhelmingly that yeah. it's not good. Yeah. And then every once in a while, it's it's weird with those, it's weird with those like, um, quotes because sometimes yeah. people also oh, weird some of them yeah. there's it just yeah. feels like out of left field like yeah. are you just trying to be contrarian or yeah yeah no i mean uh, you don't have to look at our review why would it why would it be sitting on the shelf for so long right why exactly. wouldn't it come out after they'd both been nominated for oscars last year like uh yeah it sounds like it's a it's an adaptation of a book that sounds really good but they've kind of they've kind of um bottled it in terms of how nasty their characters get Mm. I think, do you turn America's sweetheart into the real evil femme fatale, or do you kind of make her slightly more likable? So yeah. I think that's kind of what's happened there, that like a great story's been neutered a little bit by fear that audiences won't respond. I really hate that impulse. Like, if, if something is successful in one medium, mm. why do you want to change it and make it something that's like, oh, this will be more palatable because which, obviously it's not which is why gone girl was great because it wasn't yeah. toothless like they followed through with that right right so yeah uh don't see that <laughs> um <laughs> fury's out i've seen fury um I've talked about it before on the show i think because it was the london film festival yeah it's brad pitt tank movie it's okay uh it goes a bit too hollywood at the end like there's some yeah. good acting in it john john Berth- berthnall from um walking dead i really enjoyed shyla buff is great in it logan lerman's really good i'm not really watched a lot of stuff really with like him and yeah i know you're you're a fan brad pitt's great but there's a scene in the middle that just kills the film for like 15 minutes like a, a talky scene around a kitchen table um and there's a battle at the end that just it just defies belief so much that you're like man i wish we could have just kept it kept it real yeah well what's funny is that you know people like colin powell you know uh from the united states uh, military uh heavy came out and they were taking they're trotting him around on tour and saying you know like this is how it is mm. and i'm like well this is how it is until the final scene right yeah, like, yeah. That's that, that's, not how that was is. my feeling it felt it suddenly became a fantasy film it became a brad pitt movie yeah is is no one in america called colin <laughs> no is, is colin always pronounced colin no it's called most people are called colin and he's weirdly Colin Powell. And I don't want to pronounce it that way because it sounds weird. It sounds like in digestive. Yeah. Tracked. Oh, <laughs> oh, by case of the Colin uh, Powells. Uh, you talk about Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> good old. <laughs> I'm good, Rafe. Good old Ralphie. Uh, we also have the Book of Life out this week, uh, which I haven't seen, but Jim saw. Jim saw and liked it. Really liked um, it. We gave it 8 out of 10. Guillermo del Toro. So. Visually stunning. It's by this guy um, who actually know ah. um, Jorge Gutierrez. Um, he's his. He used to um, make all the. Uh, he used to make a cartoon on. Um, on uh, uh, Nickelodeon, and he's always coming uh, at things. He's a Latin American guy. He wants to like sort of keep the Latin perspective out there. And this movie is totally, you know, set in Mexico mm. from that perspective. And it's awesome that it's it's you know getting out there. I I think I think this movie was at um, was being looked at for at Pixar for a while. Right. And, yeah, that does um, ring a bell. I think you know, like it's it's had a long life. He's been trying to make this essentially yeah. since he started for about fifteen years. So, so I guess this was like the, the is it the Day of the Dead? Yeah, yeah it's the Day yeah. of the Dead. Because I remember that, that was, was rumored, Pixar. Yeah. yeah, so I guess this is that. And so um, it is. 
uh, yeah, it's supposed to be visually stunning. I haven't gotten to see it yet, but mm. I'm, I'm, it's high on my list of things I want to see right now because Day of the Dead stuff is fun anyway, but right. like an animated movie set in that yeah, world Yeah, it's, really, awesome. it's not really an occasion that we know much about here. Right. So I think, yeah, it'd be interesting how it does, but I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. And finally, I could say what the final film is, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to say it, though. The Babadook. Don't let him in. The Babadook. Uh, which is, I guess, a film we've not mentioned on the podcast before. But, not um, at all. Have it you was seen actually it? featured in the award. I haven't. I want to see it so bad. But <laughs> I thought you'd seen it. No, <laughs> oh. I really wish I had. I've only seen the trailers, and it actually looks quite good from the trailers. Is well, it? Dan's seen it. Dan's yeah, seen actually, it. I think I gave it a nine. Yeah, I think I mean, yeah because I kept I kept not being able to see it every week. I said the podcast. I'm going to tell you about it next week, and then I keep missing it. So the quotes and the posters are amazing. It is like um, I think Empire gave it five star. Kim Newman reviewed it. Um, British horror expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good, but I think the trailer kind of slightly misrepresents what the movie is because it kind of makes it out like it's a monster movie, but it's more of a psychological movie. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's got more in common with something like The Innocents. Mm. Then you probably assume it does from the trailer. Yeah, right. Uh, I, it, it's, it plays like Mama or something in the trailer. Yeah. yeah. It's, there's way more to it than that and um, lead actress I think she's called Essie something she's phenomenal in it she's and really it's going to be just in time for Halloween yeah have you guys not to derail the podcast completely but have you seen this movie Magic Magic with Michael Sarah and Juno Temple no, no I think my girlfriend did I don't... it is so good oh really it's so psychologically like creepy stifling it's like if, if you've it's a movie form of claustrophobia. Right. It's a. It's basically about this. Uh, this woman goes to visit her friend in South America, and her friend basically uh, has these really weird relatives, and she goes to stay with her. Already not getting her along with the relatives, and then this girl leaves, and she's basically stranded there, Juno Temple, with this really crazy off the rails Michael Sarah, and then I, I can't remember the rest of this, the cast, but it is it's a really good psychological thriller, and it is it is super uncomfortable if you're into like watching movies that make you uncomfortable, which I am. Yeah, um, it's 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 great. That's my recommendation. It came out last year, but um, should be available on Netflix. And stuff great. Like so out this week, we've only got a film that's came out a year ago. ago what you've done chris is you've made this podcast uncomfortable suddenly <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm good at but that's awesome well i think that's it for this week but thank you for visiting us chris yeah no problem will you come back again soon i'd love to uh where can people listen to you when they're not when you're not appearing on this podcast uh we do a, a movies podcast called keeping it real that comes out every thursday usually that's r-e-e-l yeah, keeping See what it, they've done there? Oh. Keeping it Rizil all the tis on. Yeah, <laughs> so, so white. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so keeping it real. Um, it, don't don't bother with the horrible, horrible pun there. But uh, we've been doing that one for quite a while. Mm. I think we crossed 250 um, Not long maybe ago. Last, last month, I think. Yeah, yeah. So we've been doing that for, for quite a bit. Um, we talk about all... all Really what we do is we talk about Marvel and DC for 80% of the mm. podcast, and then we throw in some Planet of the Apes or something. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of fun. It's me and uh, film editor Jim Veveda and Roth Cornett, and sometimes we have special guests. We had Crispin Glover on, who... You've had Kevin Smith on? Yeah, Kevin Smith. Crispin Glover Crispin was a personal favorite of mine. was so good. Yeah, yeah. It was so good. Like, he would have gone on for three hours, yeah, too. Yeah, you guys didn't speak on that one, really. We seriously didn't. We were, like, we every once in a while, we'd be like, huh. And he had some very interesting insights into my favorite movie, Back to the Future, as well, didn't he? He has he had so much insight, and, and he had more stuff than after the cameras went off. 
We talked about him even well, more as well. Great. Can you tell me that after these cameras are off? I will do that. Cool. Well, thanks for visiting, Chris. Um, and thank you for listening and watching. And if you want to write to us, as ever, it's IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Uh, until next week, cheerio. See you later. Pip, pip. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.